if you're going to use the SDR role in that way and you're going to use it as a weed out, first of all, there has to, you have to be able to offer something on the other side of it, right? You have to have a full cycle sales role or a more advanced SDR role with a little bit more comp or something. There has to be something on the other side and you need to set the expectation and tell people this is going to freaking suck. Ultimately, what you have to look at is for those that are exploring a, a career in sales and they're exploring that, that first SDR role is, and I talk about this at all levels, you have to do your due diligence on the front end and really understand what you're walking into. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am that Scott Ingram sat down to do this interview for SalesCast. He's a podcast host, an author, and an extremely successful quota-carrying rep. He gives us his story from day one, uh, how he got started, uh, how he ended up where he is today, and we get into it about all sorts of stuff about sales and the industry and just getting started. Uh, it, he was so gracious with his time, and it's almost like he knows what it's like to get started. So buckle in, because this is going to be a good one. Mr. Scott Ingram with us here today on SalesCast. Scott, thanks very much for uh, taking some time to sit down and chat. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Um, you know, just to jump right in, one of the most interesting parts that I saw while I was doing a little bit of reading about you um, is that you're still a quota carrying rep and like quota carrying by choice. Like you just really love to do sales. I do. I do. I, I call the, the term I use is intentional individual contributor. So certainly I, I could move into leadership or, or management should I choose, but that's not what I choose. I, I, I love being in the field. I love working with my, with my customers. So uh, this, is, this is the right spot for me. And that's one of the most interesting parts for me because um, I came into sales like knowing that I didn't necessarily want to be an individual contributor forever. I knew that I needed to do it and I needed to learn my way around and, and figure some stuff out. But pretty, like I, I came from a teaching background. I was a math teacher for four years. So like leadership and watching people develop is like something that I ultimately like, that's what brings me um, you know, to the scene. But it's, it's interesting for me to talk to different people and like, you know, like that have that mindset that they want to like just sell like selling is fun for you so did you already know that like did you know that going in or did that opinion develop over time or like how did, how did that come you know i i think it i, I don't know it, it probably developed and you know i really started my career as an entrepreneur i started my first company when i was 20 years old and i think what i really discovered in, in getting into sales and, and becoming in, and working in true sales professional types of, of roles, I was like, wait a minute, these, what I do in this role is all of my favorite things. And I don't have to do any of the things I really didn't like when I was running my own company. I don't have to worry about 
the finance side of things. I don't have to worry about the operations. I don't have to worry about the HR uh, kind of kind of issues that come up. And I thought, man, I just, I, I get the best of all worlds here, right? Somebody else has to go deliver the solution after I go sell it. I don't have to then worry about, shoot, I just sold this giant project. Now I got to do it. Uh, so it, it really allowed me uh, to, to have all of those things. And, and I, I joke, I mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's also fairly serious. I joke, I already have two children. Like I don't, I don't need six or eight more. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that completely makes sense. And, um, it, like, I guess like what led you into sales in general? Like how did, how did you find yourself in a sales career? Cause I find this question, people give all kinds of different answers. Like some people came out of the womb selling things. Some people backed into it because some other things didn't work out. So like, how, how did you get here? Yeah, I, I, I think in general, I mean, what I've seen is, is there's three paths and, and the most common path is an accidental path, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, some, some people, I mean, the, the other, I actually wanted to be in sales path. There's typically a relative or somebody in their life that they've seen what sales is actually about and and that motivates them down that route. But most most of us end up here accidentally. And and I certainly fit into that category. And and really what happened again, you know, I, I started at this company. It was an IT consulting company uh, called Gray Matter Technology. So for breaking bad fans, that was quite a surprise for me to, to discover later on that that was kind of a, a core part of that show. But uh, you know, it you quickly, very, very quickly realize that you don't really have a company if you don't have customers and you don't have customers until you figure out how to sell. So it was it really, basically, I just got chucked into the deep end. Right? I, I, you know, I, I had a couple of clients as I started the, the business that had really come from relationships and, and referrals that I had, and that was fine to get to open the doors. But then again, you, you really quickly realize that, wait, this, this is going to take some work. And there's a whole lot, well, everything that I didn't know at, at that stage, right? So that's, that's, that's really how it started. And then I sold that company and we moved from Southern California to Austin. And this is, gosh, 16 years ago now. And, you know, I, I kind of flailed around a little bit. I wasn't quite sure, sure what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to go into real estate for a while and I dabbled in that and that really wasn't, wasn't my thing. And I, I took on my first true professional sales role and uh, went to work for ADP in, in the major account space. And, and that's where I really learned sales. I mean, I, I kind of, selling as a, as a CEO, selling as an entrepreneur is a little bit different than selling as a sales professional. And so I, I feel like ADP was my first real exposure to real sales. Yeah. Did, Go ahead. So like you've got did, a you, did you have like, I mean, you said that was your first exposure to real sales. So like, were you under a quota? You had like a sales manager like that. So that was the first time like uh, with your butt in the chair, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Because again, before that, it was, it was my company. Like I, I made the sales and, and then, you know, managed the team or, or oftentimes was actually delivering whatever the heck it was that, that I sold. We were, we were kind of a services uh, organization for the most part, but this was, oh yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had, a, I mean, I'd, I never had a quota uh, working for my own company. I don't even know that I, I thought about that or, or knew what that was. I mean, I had revenue goals, I suppose. I thought about it a little bit differently, but ADP was absolutely, you know, I had a, 
I had a manager, I had peers, I had a solution consultant that, that would help me on, on deals. You know, that was the first time I really started using Salesforce and all the rest of the tools and ADP uh, to their credit. And actually that whole industry for the most part has really good training. So I went through as I joined that organization, I feel like it was like a 16 week training program. And, and for those first three, four months, it was probably 20 hours a week. I was on different conference calls with folks. We were kind of in a class essentially. And so I was on calls with folks all around the country and it was, it was very learn something, do something, learn something, do something, right? So we'd learn about objection handling. Like, okay, great. Now go call people <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, and handle their objections, right? And, and so it was, it was amazing, amazing training. And then at the tail end of that, they brought us together in person in Peachtree, Georgia, outside of Atlanta uh, for a two-week uh, uh, set of training. So that was just an, an incredible experience to get, again, real sales training because I think what I see in the market these days, it's just missing. I mean, most folks are just thrown to the wolves, right? It's, you know, years ago, it was, here's the yellow pages and, and here's a phone, like figure it out. Well, now it's, here's, here's your MacBook and, you know, there's, there's your phone, you know, figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you have an outreach There's a lot account. to figure out. We set up this sequence for you, dial 100 numbers a day and you, yeah, it's trial by fire. Totally. Totally. And then I, th I think that's, I think that's wrong, right? You know, that's the, the onus of success at that level really shouldn't be on the individual who has no idea what they're doing, right? Organizations need to do a much, much better job of, of investing and doing that training and helping people understand what's going to happen. And, sh it, you know, over the long run and not a very long, long run, right? Over, over the course of a year doing that work, the results at the end of that period of time are going to be massively different than the, you know, here's the stuff, go, go figure it out. From what I can tell, it has a lot to do with the VC industry, the venture capital money comes in, you have a startup where you've established somewhat of a product market fit um, thing, like the product is selling. And then they say, okay, here's $10 million, go hire 15 sales reps and 10 SDRs. And, mm -hmm. and they're just under this pressure to sort of like, like, put bodies in chairs and, and start selling and they, they overhire a little bit thinking like, okay, some of these people are going to work out and some of them won't. But at the end of the day, like we're going to hit our revenue targets because we have financial backing and it's just sort of like uh, this mechanism where yeah. um, unfortunately the person that's in the chair, like doesn't get a whole lot of concern for them. Right. Like it's just, it, it's just this machine that kind of moves is that's how it feels for me anyway. To totally. And, and I mean, so essentially what we're doing is we're treating people like cogs and I, that's just, it's so wrong. And it's, it's really set up to be sort of a churn and burn type of situation, right? We're basically planning on the fact that after eight months or, or after whatever period of time, like on average, people are going to leave. Um, and, and that creates a horrible experience for them, right? They have a, a bad idea of what real sales actually is in the first place, right? I mean, the SDR role in particular, I mean, that's, that's only one part of the process. It's a super important part of the process, but it's, it's only one piece. And a lot of times, I mean, I, I've been, I've been ranting about this a, a, a little bit lately is, is that I feel like in a lot of ways, the SDR role is kind of a career trap because you don't get exposure to the rest of the process. And we are burning folks out and they're thinking, oh gosh, you know, sales just isn't for me. I'm like, well, you know what though, it, on the other side, 
it, it's so much better. I mean, as I've worked, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm well into my, my career at this point. Sales for me just gets more and more fun and more fulfilling. And, and frankly, it gets, it gets easier, right? But that just, it comes with the time in the saddle. It comes with the experience and it comes with being able to work across that, that whole spectrum and getting good at, at all of the pieces and not just the, the one component that is get meetings. Yeah. And I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent with you on that because you miss out on a lot. It's like, you don't really get the full flavor. You just get like a preview of what sales is going to be like when you sit down to be an SDR. But my counter is that the people that make it through that live through an SDR position and they hit 20 meetings a month and they like find that groove that go on to do other things in any part of the business. It's like such a sharp, sharp angle to have to be able to be like an expert top level prospector because it's like the hardest part of this whole thing is to be able to like break into new business and and get those meetings and and fill up the pipeline. It just it's so difficult to do that when you're good at it. Like even if you move into sales operations or customer success or you move into a closing role, like having that angle and perspective on things is like just it's so immensely powerful. A hundred percent. And and there is a corollary. I mean, the, the closest example I can think of that that is sort of like this is if you want to be a doctor and you're in college, there's going to be a weed out class where they're intentionally trying to get you to go away. And, and they're sort of testing like how committed to, to this are you really? And it's usually it's like a chemistry class or it's a, you know, it's, it's some technical, very detailed, very challenging. They have to grade on a curve because, you know, 70% of the people are going to fail. You know, people when I was a, when I was a math major, it was proofs. That was the class. That was the weed out class. If you want to be a math major and you can't make it through proofs, you're not, it's, you're not going to be okay. Yeah. So, you know, at, at some level, I, okay. Yeah. I, I, I guess, but you, you knew that that proof class was a weed out class, didn't you? Yeah. They said it in the beginning. Yeah, right. So that's, I think that's my issue. Right. If you're going to use the SDR role in that way and you're going to use it as a weed out, first of all, there has you have to be able to offer something on the other side of it. Right. You have to have a full cycle sales role or a more advanced SDR role with a little bit more comp or something. There has to be something on the other side and you need to set the expectation and tell people this is going to freaking suck for nine months, a year, a year and a half. I don't, whatever the interval is, but no, people aren't being told that. They're not being told, hey, this is your weed out class. Just so you know, like you, you need to know this going in that 60% of you aren't going to make it through. Yeah. Then I'm okay with it. But if you don't tell people that <laughs> and, and you dangle the carrot and you, and you feed them all these promises about, oh, there's this bright future thing, but A, that future doesn't exist and you're, you're, you're treating this as a weed out and not sharing that, uh, that pisses me off. And there's another thing too that I'm starting to learn is that there's different flavors of SDR, of sales development, where there's some companies that have it dialed in, that they're an established company and there's, there's a career path that's like um, well-established and they have a system that works and like marketing is locked in and like they're getting good leads in front of them. And there's like this whole training program, but then there's this other flavor of SDR where it's like a newer company that just hires a bunch, like they just go, 
oh, we need to hire SDRs now. And then they like bulk hire a bunch of kids and they don't have anything ironed out. And then they figure out, oh, this isn't working. <laughs> right. Like, like, so I think people get confused between those two things and you see all these wildly varying opinions across the industry about what that experience is like. Yeah. And, and again, if you look at what that is, it comes down, it comes back to, are we training and developing our people? And, and when organizations do get to that level of maturity, um, that's typically what they are doing. And, and there are career paths and there, there is growth potential and opportunity uh, for, for you to work through. And, and you're going to get better be, because of it. Because again, going back to the beginning, you're, you're not just being thrown uh, to the wolves to go figure out how to, how to feed yourself. Um, so, you know, I, I think ultimately what you have to look at is for those that are exploring a, a career in sales and they're exploring that, that first SDR role is, and I talk about this at all levels, you have to do your due diligence on the front end and really understand what you're walking into. Like, am I walking into a good situation where I'm going to get developed and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and I'm going to see future opportunities or am I just... T totally taking my chances here. Like, is this completely a crapshoot? This is a brand new company. This could be absolutely great, but the odds of that happening are probably like 10%. And I'm, I'm likely in a position where I'm, I'm exactly back to where I am right now in six months. Yeah. I, I, I can feel that from my personal experience because I was more in the camp where I, I was a teacher. I switched careers. Um, I, you know, did a lot of math. So I wanted to use that. And I, I, long story short, I ended up selling life insurance out of my bedroom for a little while while I was driving Uber. And that's not a fun thing to do. But I had, I like was making a lot of dials every day. And I really needed a job where I could like get insurance. So I mean, I walked in like literally I applied to two companies and one of them offered me a job and I, and I jumped in right away. Like I didn't even look, I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't care. It didn't, didn't matter to me. Like I, I just jumped right in knowing, um, this place, like I'm looking around the office, like they've got a bunch of money. It seems like it's going to be pretty cool. This would be a fun place to work and just, and just jumped right in. So like, and I think a lot of people, um, fall, I, I, I don't want to say fall victim to it, but like basically like get, uh, swayed by the, the beer kegs in the office and the snacks, <laughs> right? Yep. I mean, you walk yep, in sure. and see this place and you're like, this is going to be great. You know? Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and you know, if, if you all, you're, you're walking into a sales role, like the people that are hiring you have been in sales, they're going to be pretty good at convincing you that this yeah. is a good idea. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah. they've done. Yep. Absolutely. So, I mean, on that note, to, to go back to ADP, like, did you, I mean, were you like good at this right, right, right away? Like, were you hitting your number? You're just crushing it and like, Scott's the man. What was your experience like? Oh, you know, so like the on paper experience was, was really good and strong. The in my head experience was really challenging. And so my, my first year, uh, I made President's Club. I was in the division and I don't remember where the, what the size of the division is or what the boundaries were. I feel like it was maybe Texas, Oklahoma or, or something like that. Um, I, I just missed, and this, this ate at me. I just missed being the rookie of the year. Um, there was a, there was a guy and I think he was like Tulsa, Oklahoma who, who just beat me out. 
Um, so, you know, the first year went well. And then the other thing that, that ADP does is your, your commissions over the course of the year, it's just sort of an accelerating commission structure. So as you get deeper and deeper into your, your quota, the more money you're making. And so when you get to the end of the year and you're, you've sort of topped out the commission plan, you're, you end up making, I don't, it's like six or eight times more than what it is when the fiscal year starts back over and you go back to zero. So wow. what the behavior that that drives is everybody, you just flush your pipe, like anything you can sell at the end of the year, you're selling it. And then, and then you start the new year with nothing. And what they do to try to counteract that a little bit is they have what they call super starts. So there's an incentive trip that is, and this one, uh, you know, President's Club was, hey, if you do, at the time it was like 120 or 125% of your number, then, then you qualify for club. Superstarts was a stack rank kind of deal. So you had to be, you know, one of the top two people or, you know, to guarantee a spot. And then it was this many people, but it was, it was competitive. And, and there were only so many spots. And so you had to beat out other people to do that. And it covered the first maybe three or four months of, of the year. So right as, as you're making no money <laughs> and, and you're, you're trying to rebuild your pipeline and kind of get this thing going again, they, they had this, this program. And I qualified for that, but I never got to go on the trip because my wife was very pregnant. Um, and I, I, was, I wasn't so good of a sales guy that I could convince her that I needed to go on a trip to somewhere in Mexico, somewhere fun in Mexico by myself. Uh, because of the, I, I think I was, I was trying to use a, a networking excuse, like, oh, I need to build these relationships with, uh, with the other high-performing people at ADP. Yeah. Uh, yet that didn't fly, um, and I'm glad it didn't. Like, I, I needed, I needed to be home. <laughs> but all through that period, I just, it was, it was hard. It was really freaking hard, and I, I struggled with just like the mental side of it right? Just keeping myself going. I, you know, there were so many times that I would just, I would go out and I'd sit in my car and uh, um, I didn't know, cause I just, I, I couldn't be in the office. I, I needed to kind of decompress and I needed to sort of try and, and get my head right. And it, that's, that's really where I came to, I, I, I really at that point started to truly study sales you know, I was, I was consuming so much content and, and, you know, I was like poor and starving at the time. I mean, I was doing okay, but I was also trying to start a family and my wife wasn't working. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I checked out every freaking sales book the library had to offer and, and you just, it worked on myself. I tried to get better at it. And it was actually that experience um, that, <clears throat> Many, many years later, I mean, I, I really think back to that time in terms of who I create a lot of the sales success content for, right? It's, it's that person that's like, man, I want to be good at this. I'm maybe not good at this yet, or, or I know I can be better at this, or I'm still struggling with this in, in my head. It, because all of that content that I was consuming came from people that didn't have their own quota, weren't actually selling for probably on average decades. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I thought, I want to learn from the people that are doing the best right now, right? Like when, when these people writing these books, like they didn't, they didn't have LinkedIn. They, they didn't, they're, they're, the people that they were calling on didn't have 
all of these channels and all of these distractions and, and all these things coming at them the way that we do today. So how do the people that are doing the best today deal with those kinds of challenges, right? That's, that's really what I wanted to get to the, to the core of. And, and again, I often think of uh, struggling Scott at, at ADP and, and think of like, how do I help that guy? Because man, he wants it. He, he wants it. And, uh, and, and I, I know that this content is, is going to help him. It, it makes the concept for your podcast and your books make so much more sense now because that's where you were coming from is that you were reading content from people that like weren't in the chair and they hadn't been for quite some time. You know, like, like while you were talking about that, I was thinking like, oh, this would be a good question. Like, what are some of those books? But it, it doesn't even matter. It's like <laughs> that that's, it seems to be like where you got the concept to go like with your, your method of like, who are the people that are doing really good right now? So I guess like on that, I mean, that's one of the questions that I had queued up too is um, how did the podcast come about? Like, is this much further down the timeline? And like, and then the book, I guess, came out of the podcasts. Is that, is that about right? Uh, kind of. So let's let's kind of quickly walk through you. This this will be kind of like the fast forward scene where we we do a quick flashback of of my life and and bring it yeah. to the bring it to the current state, right? So um, after ADP, I, I left to go play entrepreneur again, and it was a really really stupid choice because I did it in two thousand eight, um, which was just sort of the not the trough of of the recession. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I had started this organization shortly after moving to Austin. I started a, a kind of a business networking resource called Network in Austin because all of my success early on and with my with my first company all came because of the relationships I had. You know, most of my business came through referral. When it came time to sell the company, I made three phone calls and I sold my company. Now there's a lot of extra process after I made those phone calls, but but that's that's really literally how it went down. Um, so I, I came to Austin. The only person I knew when I first moved here was my real estate agent. I thought, okay, this isn't going to work. Like I really need to start to build my network here. Where do I go? What's going on? And, and I created network in Austin really to scratch that itch and be that resource for anybody that was looking to develop their, their business network and help them understand, well, where do you go? And and then there became kind of educational elements around it. Like not only where do you go, but what do you do once you get there? How, how do you effectively uh, network. And so I, I went off into and, and tried to build that organization uh, after ADP at the, at the bottom of the recession. And it, it was just painful. I mean, the company didn't quote unquote fail. That actually would have been a lot better. Instead, it was like slightly less than moderately successful. <laughs> so it just, it just sort of limped along. Like, again, it would have been so much better if it just freaking died, but instead it was just sick for a long time and it wasn't yeah. ever going to get better. And so fortunately, you know, after a period of time, I, I sort of came to this inflection point. I thought, okay, either, either I, I try this other thing and maybe I go raise some money and I, I really try and fix this, or I'm just going to go pick up another bag and I'm going to go back into sales because I really love that. I, I really enjoyed that. And that that path became very clear. I got some really interesting feedback. Like as I'm talking to investors, they're like, Scott, we love you. We believe in you, but we're not so sure about this network in Austin thing. I'm like, okay, well, what's wrong with it? How do we fix it? They're like, well, we don't know. I'm like, okay, this is a sign. I got to get out of here. 
And at the time, the company, like the startup, the sales organization that everybody in town wanted to work for was a company called Bizarre Voice. And Bizarre Voice, if, if you've seen ratings and reviews on a website that's not Amazon, you've probably seen Bizarre Voice. So they work with all the big retailers and, and big manufacturers to, to do that kind of thing. And this is, I don't remember what year, this is kind of uh, um, mid I'm looking at 2009 late. on LinkedIn. Does that sound that's, right? That sounds about right. That sounds about right, right? So so kind of late, late 2000s. And so I, I had a couple of friends that were there got a job there, had a, had a really good initial experience that then went down downhill uh, pretty quickly. I had the best first quarter in the history of the company. I qualified for a club in one quarter. Um, and and oh. then it was kind of a, a, a downward slide and then I got fired. So that story's in the book. <laughs> That's, nice. I, I, I don't ever go, go into that one publicly because I, I think it's sort of important to kind of talk through all the nuance and the detail and take ownership of the things, the parts of that experience that I needed to take ownership of. Um, but then the, the company subsequently went public. And, and so anyway, it was, it was an interesting ride. And after uh, Bizarre Voice, the, the next chapter in the book that I wrote about this sort of period of time, uh, actually, it, was, it is the, the chapter of, about that experience. I, I, I called that chapter Fired Up. Because as I was leaving the parking garage for the last time after they'd walked me out the door, I decided in that moment, like this, when I write a book, <laughs> the title of this chapter is, is going to be fired up because while wow, that sucked um, and it is, and I subsequently called my wife to let her know what happened. That's a really, really, really not a fun phone call. Um, and, and, but I decided, I'm like, you know what, this is going to lead to something bigger and better. Right. There, there's, there's a silver lining on, on this thing. And it did. I, I ended up uh, finding a company called Eloqua. And mm -hmm. Eloqua was my second IPO. So we had a, just a heck of a time there. I had an absolute blast working for that organization. We went public. We were a public company for exactly one quarter. We had one earnings call. And then Oracle acquired us for $893 million. And I, became, and I became an Oracle employee. Um, so through, through that, so... I, I left Oracle. I loved Eloqua. Oracle is just too big of an organization for me. I've, I've learned enough through my career to kind of understand what size and scale of organization I fit in. And, and I, I definitely like the smaller side of things, right? A, a company like Oracle that has 130,000 employees around the world has way too much bureaucracy for Scott. So I went to work for, and this is where I wrote my first book, because there's another book you may not know about, and, and here I'll connect all the dots. So I went to work for an event marketing company called Certain. And I think it was actually while I was with Bizarre Voice, I went to the Austin Under 40 Awards, and I was blown away. I mean, this this it's an annual awards event. It's actually run by a couple of uh, young professional uh, run nonprofits. Um, and it's a, it's a big fundraiser. But I looked at the business model of what this was and I was like, oh my gosh, because what they do is they have five different finalists across 10 different categories. So there's a category for technology and legal and healthcare and nonprofit, and you've got five finalists in each, of, each one of these things. And, and then they choose a, a winner in each category, and then the, the big, big winner uh, is, is named the Austinite of the year. Well, 
each one of those finalists brings a table or two of their friends and family that are going to support them. And everybody's paying, I don't know what it is now. I mean, back then I think it was probably $125 a ticket. I was like, and so there's like a thousand people at this event. It's like, holy cows, this is crazy. This is brilliant. And at the same time, I'm thinking sales needs this because sales, our, our wiring is so simple. We, we have two buttons you can press. We, we have a cash button you can press, and we enjoy when you press that button very much. Please, please press it. But at a certain point, pushing the cash button more after you have enough has sort of diminishing returns. Where's the off. other? Yeah. The other button that we have is a recognition button. And what's interesting about the recognition button is for most of us, um, it kind of never gets old when that button gets pressed. And once you've pressed the cash button enough times, I think, again, for most of us, the recognition button is bigger and it has more of an impact. And I thought, geez, wouldn't it be amazing if we took the same model and we brought it to sales? Because the very best salespeople are the ones that they're probably kind of, they're, they're known, they're rock stars inside their companies, right? People know who they are. They might be a little bit known in their industry. And outside of that, nobody has any idea who the heck they are. Which, even though they're probably making more money than the top executives in that same organization. Once, once we take stock options off the table, right? They're, they're making more money than the top executives. Well, everybody knows who the CEO is and the CFO and the CMO and the CIO and, and all those folks. Nobody knows who the top salesperson is. And I thought, man, I would love to create this. And I had this vision for what I called the Rainmaker Awards. That was that idea. And, but if I was honest with myself, it wasn't, it wasn't even about the awards event. That whole thing was just an excuse to bring together the very best salespeople because then I wanted to build the rest of the event around it and put them on panels and interrogate them and figure out what the heck they were doing and how they were doing it. And so fast forward to now I'm at, at certain, I'm in this event marketing space. And part of the reason I took this role is I still, this thing was haunting me. You know, I, I'm like, I, someday I want to create this Rainmaker event. And I, I thought, well, if I ever want to do that, I want to learn more about events. So, you know, I'm like, gosh, this is a great opportunity. This is, it integrates with Eloqua. So I, I get to use some of my existing knowledge and the relationships I have. And I get to learn about this, this part of uh, the, the business or about of marketing and event management that, that I'm really interested in. I'm going to, I'm going to go do that. And while I was there, one of the things I was thinking about was, and, and one of my uh, um, hypotheses about the best salespeople. Because at that point, and I, I always really made a concerted effort in every sales role I was in to identify who's, who, who are the best people here. And I would just try and learn from them. Right? I would have conversations and watch what they were doing and, and, and really try and, and look at that. And at, to that point, I was like, geez, stylistically, these folks are all over the place. Like there's very few commonalities. They're all doing different things. But the one thing I sort of noticed was you know, there does seem to, seem to be those that are at the top, a lot of them have been in the same company, in the same industry, in the same territory for a, a good amount of time. And they're benefiting from, they've got a, a deep understanding of the space. They've got really good, uh, they're kind of a subject matter expert. 
they they've got the all these great relationships so they don't they don't have to go to marketing because they need a to do a set up a reference call they just call one of their somebody else that they sold to in the past and they're able to set that up and they get referrals and or or people change jobs and they're like hey scott you know you helped us out over here you know now now i'm the head of marketing so i i want you to come help help me with that solution again um so i i saw that and i thought okay well if, if that's a key to success, how do you accelerate that process? How, how do you become that subject matter expert kind of known in, in that industry that you're selling to in your territory? And I was, I was just sort of thinking through that. And I thought, geez, the ultimate way would be to write a book. <laughs> like I, I'd write a book on the, on the subject. And fortunately, I was part of a, a, part of a mastermind group and I, I brought this idea to them and one of the guys in that group, his name is Gerald. Gerald says, Scott, I've actually got another friend in Canada. Let me introduce you to him because he's got this really interesting model and I think it, it might apply here. So I, I call Gerald's friend Peter in, in Canada and <clears throat> he was writing these books where he had a whole bunch of people contributing to them. And what he told me is, Scott, everybody has kind of this bucket list goal that they want to write a book. But writing a book, it's just such, it's so big, it's so hard. And most people will never get all the way there. So if you can create an easy way for them to check that box and they get to be a part of a book, like virtually nobody says no. And I thought, wow, this is fascinating because I'd already sort of outlined what this book might look like. And as I looked at those chapters, I thought, I, I know people or I know of people that are basically experts in each of these individual areas. Maybe I'll just ask them to write those chapters. And so that began, I think of myself, I'm like the Tom Stoyer of authors. My name's on the cover, but I do like, I don't do that much work. <laughs> and so that first book was called Making Rain with Events because I was thinking about what might that future branding sort of look like and how do I position myself in the, in the company as, as sort of this, this expert or, or in the industry as, as, as an expert. And I went from having that idea and that concept to a published book that you can still to this day buy on Amazon um, in six months, which is unheard of for anybody that, that knows how long and how hard it is to bring together a, a book. And so I, I did that. That was, that was the very first book. And I'll take a breath because I've been talking for like half an hour and I haven't let you say anything, Patrick. No, you're you're doing great. This I I haven't uh, interjected much because it, you're you're telling the story. You're doing a really good job of like bringing us from the beginning to present day and sort of how all this stuff came together, right? And it's it's just it's given me such a clear picture that I'm thinking like this is really good material. So just I mean just continue down the path. Like you got the first book done. Um, I'm sort of waiting for like the connection to present day. Like, how did we go? How did we go from there to like sort of like the next step? Right? Because even just like looking at the history on LinkedIn, it seems like what like we're about to hit like what the the modern day Scott Ingram looks like. Yeah, that's that that's about it, right? So I I did that work, and through a combination of a uh, um a horrible sales leader <laughs> and, and frankly, just kind of 
the, the company didn't buy into this book concept. I got a lot of pushback on it. And, and I, I, I never really did understand that. You know, they, they were worried that I was going to, I don't know what they were worried that I was going to do. Like, oh, you're going to become some consultant or speaker or something. I'm like, oh, you know what? I have friends that do that for a living and I make, I don't know, three times more money than them. Um, no, the, really the only reason I wrote this book is to sell more of your stuff because that's how I make money. Um, but it was just sort of a disconnect there. And I reconnected with the CEO of the current company I'm working for. And it's, it's a fun story, but I, I won't take all day. Um, basically, he said, Scott, you know, we would love to have you here. And I, I was just in a, in a spot that I wasn't loving uh, what I was doing in the current role. And, and so I, okay, I, I started to look at that. And part of what I then did in that transition is I was just very clear and open on the front end. I said, look, I have this vision for, and, and I guess one really, really important detail is, is about that same time, right? As I'm working through this book project, connect the dots between this awards event and then what ultimately became sales success, I really got into podcasts. And, and at the time I was on this weird kick where every single day I would walk 10,000 steps, uh, typically before 6 a.m. I'd get out early in the morning, walk my dog, and I was listening to podcasts like a madman. And something clicked and I went, wait a minute. The, a podcast is the mechanism for this because that whole big crazy event idea, which would be damn near impossible to pull off, the the reason I want to do it is because I want to get to the stories. I'm like I can skip all that and I can just start doing the interviews and I can start getting into the stories and I can start dissecting people and understanding why and how are you doing this. And, and as I recognized that I took the opportunity as I finished that book project, I then started a podcast also called, it doesn't exist anymore, but that was the podcast was, I think also called making rain with events and it was, it was first an audio book. I basically read the book in podcast form. So the first, whatever it was, 16 episodes were the first 16 chapters of the book. And then I started doing interviews. And, I, and the reason I did that is because I wanted to learn how to be a good podcaster. Because I knew that I wanted to create the sales success thing, but I didn't want to learn it on the sales success thing. I wanted to learn it in this other way and in a way that, that would serve me better in, in the day-to-day -day sales role that I was in. It's very similar to what I'm doing right now, actually. Yeah? Is trying to figure out how to do a podcast. Like, that's pretty much yeah. why I started this. Like, yeah. I know, you know, there's not a ton of people paying attention and I just want to figure out what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the best way to learn is do it. Like you, you could research it till you turn purple, but the only way to really figure it out is, is to just go do it. So I, I did it. And as I was making that transition to relationship one, I was just super upfront with them. And I said, look, I have this vision. I'm going to want to do this podcast and, and do these other things. I need to know that you guys are going to be okay with that. Cause I got pushed back from this other company when I was doing the book and other things. I'm like, I, I want you to understand that this is what I'm doing. It's not going to take away at all from what I do for you. Right. I, I, I know where my bread gets buttered, right. You're, you're always going to be the, the priority and I'm going to always, you know, make my numbers and, and overachieve and do all of those things. But you've got to know that I, that I, I, I basically need to do this. Like this, this is driving me so hard. You don't even understand. And they're like, yeah, okay, we, we get it. We'd, we'd love to have you come on, come on down. And, and so I joined them. And so a short number of months later, 
um, I started sales success stories. And it, it really, again, it just connected all of those dots. It, it was it really there. And, and for those that aren't familiar with the show, I only interview active quota carrying individual contributors and they have to be the number one top performer or I joke that I'm willing to settle for the top 1%. So if somebody is number two on a team of 400, okay, close enough. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's, so that's really how it started. And then it's just spun out into a whole bunch of other stuff. So I was, I was doing an interview. Uh, I was in Las Vegas for a conference and, and this is probably, I don't know how long I'd been doing the podcast. Maybe I'd been doing it for six months. And I was, you know, I'm always just sort of researching and trying to find these, these very, very top performers. And I found a gentleman, I think he was working for a, a medical device company called Medline uh, at, at the time. And he was based in Las Vegas and I was in Vegas for a conference. And I just reached out to him and I said, hey, would, would you be willing to do this interview with me while I'm in town? And, and he said, yeah, sure. So we, we do this interview in my hotel room. And as we're getting ready, as I'm setting up all the, all the equipment and getting ready for this conversation, he's like, you know, talk me through the, the backstory of this. And, and you know, I, I shared him some pieces and I, I said, you know, one of the, one of the things, you know, I, I read all these books, but none of these books are, are written by the top salespeople. And he said in that moment, he said, well, yeah, Scott, we're never going to write a book. We're too busy selling. And I took that as sort of a personal challenge. And I thought, you know what? I just did this other book project that was kind of a, a mini hands make light work type of a project. I thought, you know what? Challenge accepted. We're going to write a sales book by active top performers because they're not going to have to write the whole book. And so that's where the first sales success stories book was born was similar idea. I, I pulled together 20 different top sellers and they each wrote on average three different stories. And, and so it wasn't a huge lift for them. And then we, we put the book together and, and voila, I'm, I'm working on the second volume right now that'll come out sometime in, in Q2, probably in, in May sometime. That's incredible. It, I mean, it really does pull everything together. Like, first of all, um, having a successful podcast or a successful book, it just, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like Scott's, uh, get this completely figured out and dialed in automatically. Right. It's like you, you iterated a couple times over the course of years or even say within a year or two. Um, and then, it, there was like multiple aha moments that happened along the way and that you got better at it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, and, and so much, so much of, you know, you see this and I don't know if you've heard this before, but they, they say that most overnight success stories take 10 years. Yeah. And, and I really take that to heart, right? Because it, it is it's so true, right? I really think of myself as as an overnight success story that's that's in process, right? And I, I've got a number of years more more to go before it before it really starts to break out. I, I think at at that sort of a level, but you know, you you have to sort of look at that whole backstory and what were all the inputs and how hard did you work on this and how many different podcasts have have you done and and how does that work, right? So by the time I did the very first episode of Sales Success Stories. Fortunately, I had some good friends and some good connections because the first guy that I ever interviewed was the number one AE at LinkedIn who had just been managing the Microsoft relationship as Microsoft was getting ready to acquire LinkedIn. So I was wow. able to start off in this incredible, incredible place with that first interview, but it wasn't the first interview I'd ever done. You know, by, by the time I got there, I was already I don't know, maybe 30 episodes in to podcasting. So I understood 
the equipment and and all of the pieces. But I'll I'll tell you that first interview, what hadn't yet worn off, that's totally worn off at this point because I've been doing this for three and a half years. I was so nervous on on those first number, like out of my mind nervous those those first number of interviews even though like nobody's listening to this yet <laughs> you know i you know yeah. i am I'm, I'm totally comfortable on a stage i'm totally comfortable told speaking to people but man i cannot tell you <laughs> how freaked out i was about those first few interviews and I, I try and be really empathetic about that with the folks that i interview because now I do have a pretty good size audience, right? Now, now you are going to get heard by a few thousand people. Uh, so, you know, this, this, is, this is a pretty big deal. And, and it's, 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 it's so weird to be sitting in a room by yourself holding a microphone to be that nervous. It, it really is. And I think, you know, a lot of this speaks to exactly the, like, the position that I'm in and the position that a lot of my friends are in and, the, and like the people that I associate with and the people that are sort of like at my level is that um, it, like, just like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. Like it, it takes a little while for it to settle in and it's, and it's nerve wracking. It's not easy. Right. And like some, some of these things, like the stars have to align a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as long as you're like moving in the right direction the whole time, like it'll, it'll start to come into place. And, and that's, and we're not just talking about podcasting. We're talking about life, every sales, everything, yeah, everything, everything. Right. And, and I think that all of this stuff, I mean, it takes so much longer, you know, I, I mean, yes, you, you want to hustle and you want to push and you want to put in the reps and you need to do all this stuff. But at the same time, you've got to realize that you've just got to be patient because it's going to take, it's going to take years before you get any good at any of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's like, you know, the, the, if you've, if you've played an is- instrument or if you've, if you've tried to take on a new sport, you suck. Like mm-hmm. unbelievably, you are horrible. And it's a really long time before you get decent. This is why I don't play golf. I'm not willing to put in the amount of effort it's going to take just not to suck. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, cause you know, starting out like that this is going to be some type of a long road yeah a very long road right this is going to take years and it's going to take hours and hours each week if if i want to progress so for me i just recognize i've got enough of those other things that i'm working on i don't need to add this one but you know as as we look at our professional lives or, or we look at the hobbies that we are serious about or the side hustles or the passions or whatever else that that we're interested in You've, you've got to recognize this is, you got to be in it for the long haul because you're, you're not going to have everything figured out in, in 18 months. It's just not how anything works. Now, this would be a really good place to, I, I mean, it's, you know, we're about to wrap up here, but where I want to go back to is like the very beginning now, like starting the first company. So like all that in mind, where was your mindset with gray matter? Like, like how, you know, what were you thinking about? How did you get it off the ground? And like, what were the first, you know, what was that the first couple of weeks even like? Well, I, I don't, I don't know that I remember that, you know, it, what was really driving me there. I'm, I, I've always loved sort of the entrepreneurial idea and I've certainly been an entrepreneurial in everything I've done, right? They, now they call it entrepreneurial if you're doing with this with, with inside of a, of a company, so I've always been creative, but at the time, like I, 
I've always really enjoyed technology and that's what I built the, the company around me. We were, we were mostly just working on uh, small, very small companies, uh, computer networks back in the day, right? This is like the, the internet barely existed. And you know, there was this, there was this yeah. thing called email that was starting to emerge and, and we sort of wanted everybody to, to have a system and have access to email and the internet and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we were working to help folks bring, bring that together and, and be effective in that. And I, I, I really just, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed helping and, and serving my clients and, and getting them into a position that they were able to grow their own businesses. Uh, and, and I just, I really got deep into uh, the business ecosystem, right? I, I was really active in the Chamber of Commerce. I was part of the the Rotary Club and and ultimately years later ended up serving on kind of the boards for for both of those organizations at, at a very young age. I mean, at a point where, you know, most of the folks that are on those boards are three times my my age. And I, I developed so many mentors. So, you know, those first couple of weeks, I mean, I was thinking about everything because I had to figure everything out. I mean, you're, it's it's one of those stages where you don't know, you don't even know what you don't know. So, you know, it was, it was just that process of going through and, you know, bumping into a wall and going, oh, shoot, I didn't even think about that. I, I have to do taxes. Oh, okay. What does that look like <laughs> as, a, yeah. as, as a business, right? Okay, cool. Let's figure that out. Or, or maybe I need to hire somebody to help me with that or, or, or whatever it is, right? So I, I think, you know, you, you just have to go in eyes wide open and be a sponge. And the best, the very best thing that I did is and and this came through i'd been in the only reason i knew what a chamber of commerce was and had been introduced to one be, was because when i was in high school um my i had a business i was in like a business class like i don't even remember what it was called but i was in this business class or it was it was like an investing i don't know what the heck it was but that teacher took a liking to me i was a horrible student in high school i didn't do homework i, I it, it didn't interest me um so i was just kind of a c student i tested well but I, I didn't do any other work and but this particular teacher just sort of took a liking to me and the chamber of commerce once a year held this thing called students in business day and so he nominated me to go to that and i went to that and i sort of got introduced to this concept of the chamber of commerce and i ended up shadowing i think a financial planner for the day it was it was, it was a good fascinating experience so when i started the company i thought okay well I guess the chamber of commerce like helps people with this or something. So I show up at like a chamber of commerce luncheon and honestly, it was just because I showed up, you know, here's this 20 year old kid who has no freaking idea what the hell he's doing, you know, walks in, into an environment where, you know, I mean, the average age is probably 40 something. And I think they just saw that I had this desire and instantly, I had mentors coming out of my ears. Like everybody wanted to help me. And I took full advantage of that. You know, I, I took advantage of the folks that were way further along in their entrepreneurial journeys, their professional journeys in, in their careers, and were willing to help. And I spent time with them and I learned from them and I, I did the things that they suggested I do. And, you know, again, to bring that back to kind of the, the sales thing, I mean, that's, that's what the sales success community is about, right? So many of us that have been top performers, we, we want to be able to give back. We have a need to be able to, to give back. And we love it when, you know, there's, there's a young professional that is hungry and wants to learn and wants to better themselves and is willing to listen and, and receive that help. That's, that's what makes this community so freaking amazing 
because everybody gets something out of that. And, and having been on both sides of the mentor-mentee relationship, I'm pretty convinced that it's actually the mentor that, that gets the most value out of those relationships. Similar to like pressing the cash button versus the recognition button. Yes. You can get yes. that recognition from watching somebody grow. Well, it, yes. So it's it's intensely gratifying, but it also furthers your own linking, it's, or your own thinking. It solidifies your own, I'm sorry, I said that totally backwards. It it It's basically about continuing your own learning and solidifying your own thoughts and actions, right? Because if, if I tell you, hey, Patrick, you should do this with, to, to grow your podcast audience or to do your interviews better. I can't say that if I'm not actively doing that, right? Like out of integrity, I'm like, wait, but I don't do that. I really need to be doing that. So it, it sort of forces you in a lot of ways to come back to the fundamentals, which never change. I had that experience as a teacher multiple times. I taught high school math for four years. I was really sharp and in college and like I was, I was really good at math, but then in a really short amount of time, so, so many times I'd be in front of the room explaining a concept and like a light bulb would turn on as I was explaining it. That just connected all of the dots and the kids would be just sitting there looking at me like kind of like blank stares. Like what is he even excited about right now but like some concept like just got so it just crystallized in my mind like in front of the room as I was trying to explain it to other people yes yes and and if you look at sort of the the learning cycle right you learn you, you hear about it or you see somebody else do it and then you try it and you learn from that experience and and you get better at it through repetition and maybe you learn about it a little bit more and, and you improve but if you really want to accelerate that learning, you turn around and you try and teach it to somebody else. Yeah, right on. Well, I mean, I think this is probably a good place to stop. You, I mean, this, is, this has been fantastic. I think um, I learned a lot about you. And it, just as a person that, like, I've tried to start companies before. I helped my, my brother was in the, my stepbrother was in the trucking industry and he, we both worked at the same place together and then he left and started his own company and I built him a website and like got all this inbound marketing done with him and like that company exited and he did great. And, and, and I tried to start my own company, um, building websites and doing SEO for people with my friend. And now I work at a startup with, with, you know, our founders are from Microsoft and Salesforce and we're 12 people right now. So like, I'm, I'm mildly obsessed with this concept of building a company. So I, I just, I really appreciate all the insight that you've been able to give here and just like really explain a, a solid success story and like how much time and how many years and how many hours go into it. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a fun conversation. I mean, we, we could, I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours, but this is, this has been a, a blast and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Scott.